0: Hey, my name is Sheldon March, welcome to Wild.
1: Welcome to Wild with the Niche. We're changing it up a little bit. This is Liam and I'm hosting today. We're going to see if we can change it around. So my guest, naturally, in front of me is Mr. Sheldon much How are you today, man? That's me,
0: man. That's me. I'm doing well. It's nice <laughs> to see you again.
1: Well, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for listening. It's great to see all of you again. Today, we're going to continue on, on what we were talking about a bit last lesson, Last lesson, I sound like my. <laughs> so I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm a teacher last on my profession, and that's sort I how I start every lesson. Let's talk about what we learned last lesson, kids. Before we get on to today's concepts. <laughs> Man, I need a holiday. Yeah. I'm in teacher mode all the time,
0: dude. I'm always so jealous that you get so many weeks holiday a year. It's actually bullshit.
1: Twelve weeks? Is it twelve weeks? Might be a bit more.
0: Dude, nobody else gets that much that's unless you're true. self-employed.
1: Teachers, though we get no expectation to ever shut off, ever.
0: Do you, do you take your work home with you?
1: Yeah, because you have to. There's some times throughout the term where every single waking moment is preparing for lessons and preparing for unit plans. Something that i heard of before I started the profession but didn't really fully grasp until I was in the belly of the beast. But let's not spend today whinging. I do love teaching. It's it's being It's good being around kids... Uh, it keeps you young, keeps you up with the zeitgeist. Um,
0: you know what I wouldn't like. Uh, I just wanna I just wanted to mention this. The only thing that I wouldn't like about teaching kids is that I think kids would take advantage of me
1: because you're younger.
0: I think that no, because I'm a pushover. I think that kids would try and get away with shit with me.
1: They do sometimes. It's always that's the biggest trouble is finding that balance between being their mate and being their teacher because you do need some sort of rapport to teach someone i hate classrooms based off fear but i've had some great teachers so i try emulate them a little bit
0: were most of your great teachers younger than the rest
1: hmm i'd say more than most maybe not the majority maybe the majority of them but not all some were, I feel they were young in spirit, were my best ones, where they could understand where you were coming from a little bit. You know, they didn't get cranky that you had grey socks instead of black socks. And they were, helped you make sense of the world. And when you go out into it, those were my best teachers. Who's your best teacher at school?
0: The hot ones. <laughs> I didn't care about teachers. I had like three really hot teachers in my 12 years at school. They were always my favorite.
1: Mr. Once, Johnson. Mr. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Adams.
0: Yeah. I once took a subject. I took physics mm. just because the hot teacher at school taught physics. I fucking hated physics.
1: Yeah, I dropped science as soon as I could. Year eight and nine. I just, my mind is not connected to that. Although, what do you think about this thing that we're... They said that musicians are supposed to be good at maths. Who said that? Some, some. Wow, idiot! <laughs>
0: somebody once said.
1: Some idiot. <laughs> I, I think maybe classical musicians or jazz musicians. But they what they allegedly say is that the way that your brain interprets music is very similar to the way that your brain works when it does maths.
0: I think that totally makes sense.
1: It is kind of similar, I suppose. You're thinking of almost like equations in your head when it comes to the combination of notes or chords
0: it it totally has to make sense to me because yeah music is something that's i would say i wouldn't say uncontrollable but it's a certain way of thinking that you can't really i'd say manipulate yourself into being able to comprehend and distinguish and do i think some people are just naturally more inclined and i think some of those skills might overlap with specific things Mm. like math's or I can't think of anything else. But yeah, 100%, I think that, I think that could totally, because it's, it's, it's sort of a logical thinking, but in a certain spectrum.
1: Mm. It's interesting. You, one of the other podcasts, I remember, or maybe it was in one of our personal conversations, you asked me, what is going through your mind when you're performing live? And what I said to you was that it may seem on the surface that you're in the moment, you're enjoying it, You're having a great time, you're being a rock star. But whenever I've performed live, the biggest task at hand is giving that illusion. And in your mind it's just kind of mathematical chaos. You're thinking, What do I gotta do? What's coming next? Especially if you're playing guitar and singing at the same time. Your mind is always working. And especially when you've got other people, you've got your fingers crossed that everyone does the next change correctly and everyone's in time and So there's a million things going through your mind. I think the best musicians are able to kind of tune that out and be completely in the moment.
0: You make a good point. Do you think that there's any sort of instance where a musician can kind of totally let go? Like the the first thing that I can think about is, let's say somebody like Justin Bieber. He's got uh, an incredible band, like the the top of the top. So he doesn't have to worry that anybody's going to mess up. Mm. He pretty much just has to sing. And he's got a backtrack with his vocals over and he sings over it, which is what they do now. They do <laughs> yeah, that. That's I've, seen the, yes, I've seen them do it. So maybe that is the only instance where you can pretty much just lose yourself on stage. Cause you know that even if you had to like fall down and break a leg, the song can still continue without you.
1: Maybe he has to worry about choreography and how he looks and what
0: that's not a
1: bad problem to have, what position he needs to be in on the stage at certain times. I don't know, maybe, maybe a rock and roll band when they're on their 70th date of the tour and they've played the same set in all over the world and it's nearing the end. Maybe that's when they're finally in the groove. Maybe. Maybe that's the closest you can get to just being like, uh, think of Travis Barker in the middle of a drum solo or something like that on the, f- on the eighth stop on the tour.
0: So, uh, Travis Barker, just, just just talking about this, you know, I used to stutter really bad when I was a kid.
1: Did you? What well, stopped it? I don't know. Just by I
0: I had a absolutely terrible stutter. So I speak two languages, and if I speak off the concert, I sometimes still stutter. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I remember going into a toy shop when Halo Three was released, and I wanted to ask the guy behind the counter because there was a little TV with an Xbox and a game. And I just wanted to say to him, is that Halo 3? That sentence probably took me about 55 seconds. Oh, wow. I'm not joking. I was stood in front of him, probably about eight years old, and I just went... It, 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 what does it feel like? It was the worst. It was the absolute worst. thing. I, I don't even know what caused it. Because... It just kind of came. It just came and it went. I had it for about two years and then it just went. I didn't go see a speech therapist and it's pretty terrible. It's it's, it's this idea... I'm doing it again. It's this idea of trying to get information out as quickly as you can mm. or just trying to get it out but something is suppressing it. I don't know, man. It's a really, really weird feeling.
1: I couldn't imagine wanting to talk and not being able to. That would be such a... Would it feel quite scary? I guess so. I guess so.
0: Because it does... The only time that I can imagine wanting to talk and not being able to is if you're in some sort of danger. Mm. You know, let's say you were in an accident and you've just, like, broken your neck and you want to say something but you can't. So maybe it's, like, a mild form of that.
1: Maybe. I remember when I was a kid, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt really sick and I went to go tell my mum and dad and when I opened my mouth to speak literally nothing came out oh, I thought you said you are going to vomit no no, no no but like it was so strange I've only experienced it once in my life where I went to speak and I literally could not it's almost like I forgot how to it was really strange I just could not make any noise and
0: they how had to take
1: you? me to the hospital it would have been maybe grade one grade one, maybe prep, like pretty young, grade one or two. And, um, yeah, I just literally could not make any noise. And then they put me into a a room and they tried to put one of those oxygen masks over me. But as a little kid, that was absolutely terrifying. I could not get it anywhere near me. I had a complete freak out. So eventually they gave me some sort of medicine or solution or something like that they said oh we'll give him the liquid version or something like that and they just made me drink something they said oh he'll be all right in the morning and then in the morning i could speak normally
0: that's weird
1: it was so weird i still don't understand what that was that is so weird. i almost died from
0: um incorrect medical diagnosis oh just me really quick what was this so i had a appendix i had a burst appendix oh, oh no my appendix was about to burst I had one of my best friends die at the age of 18 from a burst appendix. Mm. He was in a, a government hospital in South Africa and he went in cause his, his, his stomach was really, really sore. And he went to the doctor and we have horrible government hospitals, like the worst of the worst, like shitty doctors. And he went in and the doctor sort of put him under a little bit and did some tests. And the doctor just said, ah, oh, his appendix is inflamed. Um, We'll, we'll take it out tomorrow. The doctor just didn't want to do it that night.
1: Mm.
0: That night his appendix burst and he developed septicemia and he died. I spoke to him two days before I didn't even know about it. Mm. And I just didn't hear from him for a week before oh, he died. It was horrible. Anyway, two months later, I started getting just, just out of the blue. I was just at home, um, I was at my dad's and they weren't there, I was house sitting for them. And my stomach just started getting really sore. And I just thought, oh, this sucks. What the hell is this? I'm just going to try and get some sleep. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And I just couldn't do it. I'm not somebody who'll go to the doctor really quick, but I just had no choice. I couldn't breathe just mm. from this weird stomach ache. Drove myself to the hospital, laid down, and uh, I went to a private hospital. And this doctor came out, and he was, uh, he was a pretty shitty doctor too. He checked me out, did a whole bunch of tests, and um, I just I couldn't breathe. And he gave me these heavy painkillers, crazy painkillers. And he said, let's see how he goes with these. Obviously it chilled me out. And I was a little bit relieved that I managed to fall asleep for about an hour. because it was like two in the morning. And he said, yeah, look at you, man, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You've got indigestion, he said. Oh man. I went home, 6 a.m. the next morning. I felt like I was going to die. Went back to the hospital, had another doctor see me, like my family doctor, because she's there now in the day. Mm. And she said, Sheldon, your appendix is literally about to burst. And I said, oh, okay, well, can I come back tonight? And she's like, you're not leaving here. Mm. You are going to take your clothes off right now. And when they sliced me open, they said that my appendix was on the verge of bursting. Jeez. And some fuck face tells me I just ate a bad curry.
1: <laughs> Asshole. I nearly died when I was a kid too. Look at us. We're so brave.
0: <laughs> Stunning and there.
1: So... I had osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bone marrow. And if that spreads throughout your body, you're dead. And we, have, we still to this day have no idea how it got, how I got it because I never... Usually, it's when someone has those compound fractures and their bone gets in, is out of their skin and it gets infected that way. Wow. But I n- I've never had a compound fracture in my life. The only way that I think this happened was that I was a little kid and the boys in the preschool used to do a game where we used to jump off this kind of wooden castle kind of thing that we had into the bark, into the bark chip. And we just used to do that all day. Jump, 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 jump. Eventually the preschool got us a mattress but um <laughs> so we could <laughs> fall into it but i'm thinking maybe i f- had like some sort of fracture with my leg when i kept doing that as i was growing or something like that and in be. some way or another that got infected i've still i still don't understand how but um yeah i was on the verge of death and i only they only figured out what it was because my doctor had osteomyelitis when he was a child, and he was able to see that I had a lot of the same symptoms. Everyone else was just like, ah, oh, it's just growing pains. But they put me in the hospital for weeks on end on antibiotics and everything like that, and they managed to get it before it spread up my leg. So I've still got my leg, I've still got everything. If, I, if they'd left it for too long, they would've had to amputate.
0: I don't think it's fair that you, list that you lie to our listeners. Liam only has one leg. <laughs> I've got no arms, or
1: I'm just a torso. <laughs> Sheldon true. leans me up as we start.
0: <laughs> I always have to come to him and get him out of bed. He's like a big Mighty Bean. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a big talking Mighty Bean.
1: <laughs> he sometimes rolls me down the slide and I go top over and... <laughs> 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 Into the back chip still. I still, I still love it to this day.
0: Do you, do you remember Mighty Beans? Do you yeah, know my, not, do you
1: know, my, my stupid nephew still collects them. <laughs> I still
0: love Mighty I Beans. I want Mighty Beans. Give me money beans. <laughs> I did think that was so cool. Just uh, actually in regard to that, this will be the last stupid childhood story I tell now. I almost lost my legs out of pure stupidity. So when I was in school, I went to this really poor, shitty primary school. It was this private, it was the, ch- so my mom wanted to send me to a private school and she sent me to the most affordable private school you could get. It was on an old farm that just happened to get a GDE license, which is back home considered to be a private school. And my mom used to work until five o'clock in the afternoon. So I was one of about four kids who would have to stay at the school until their parents came to fetch them because it was a super small school. It was about a hundred kids in the whole school. Anyway, they had a jungle gym. Now a jungle gym is normally really nice, like the ones you guys have here in Australia. Our jungle gym was steel poles welded together in squares and then on top of each other. So basically, you yeah. had a big climbing frame, but it was, it, and then they painted it yellow, so that it would just look like it wasn't just purely taken off of a scrap heap. It was a horrible, and it was always very st- st- like thick, heavy steel. And the one day I was climbing on it, I was probably about nine, and I hung on the side, and it started falling. My fingers fell, or my fingers slipped, and I fell flat on my back. Ugh and this thing started oh, falling no. towards me it was probably about three and a half meters high it was it was, it was no more than that it was like maybe like four, four, four meters high that's big for a kid you know and I fell and I landed on my back and this thing started falling towards me and it was crazy heavy and it fell 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 and I just moved my legs out of the way at the last minute and it landed right where my my hips like just below my hips are oh. and if it landed there it would have gone straight through my bones man I and it would have like crushed my bones
1: that's crazy yeah I feel you haven't lived until you've nearly died (laughs) kids these days with their laptops and their (laughs) chips go out and nearly die in a jungle gym then you can say you've lived yeah and they're (laughs) fortnights man jungle gyms maybe your bones would have been infected and you would have had osteomyelitis too and then we would have been brothers in another way did you need to have a a lumberjack a lumber punch for that (laughs) A lumberjack. <laughs> yeah, I needed a lumberjack. Just get me a lumberjack, please. <laughs> At
0: the age of eight.
1: I need to be cuddled by a man in a plaid shirt and a beard. <laughs> and that was what was. <laughs> Is that when they get the injection right into your bone? Into your and bone, marry into your spine. Your
0: <laughs> Did you have it done through your leg or something, or was it... No, they,
1: they just... Chucked me on a drip and just pumped me full of antibiotics. I was out of it for like a whole week.
0: So you never had anybody take any fluids from your bone, from your actual No, bone I've out.
1: heard that's like the worst pain in the world.
0: I had to get that done as a kid. Just when you were talking about you having to go to the hospital and they put that thing on you, you were super scared. My doctor, I've had the same family doctor for about my, well, my, my whole life. My mom used to go to this doctor when she was a baby. So I pretty much went to this one my whole life. And she, for some reason, when I was about four, thought that I had something. It actually sounds very similar to what you had. Mm. I will not be able to remember. And I needed a lumbar punch, sent me to the hospital and my mom took me obviously. And the doctors pin you down and there's a a thick needle probably about the the size of a chopstick. And they they stick that into your bone, into into your spine. And when they started doing it, I was screaming and my mom couldn't watch. So she had to leave because she couldn't watch me doing that. So that made it worse for me. I was just there. I felt like like they were pulling and like doing an experiment on me mm. because the doctors had to pin me down, you know, stick that shit in my in my spine and extract fluid. And then they came back and they were like, "Nah, he's fine. Take him home." It was horrible. I was so scared. I've it was heard it's one
1: terrible. of the worst pains. I mean, getting any injections horrible, but having a thick ass needle in between your vertebrae, into your spine, sucking out your soul, basically.
0: (laughs) That sounds like something from (laughs) (laughs)
1: Scooby-Doo. I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for this
0: myelitis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I used to watch that show all the time. And I think as a kid, you don't really choose what you watch. You just watch whatever's on. And for some reason, I just loved scooby-doo for some reason it was on just before school and it wasn't even the new scooby-doo it's like literally the one from the 60s
0: yeah well the, the new scooby-doo kind of sucks i said dig the movie
1: I the, sound, movie. Y- the yeah. movie is pretty classic
0: the one with uh, rowan atkinson yeah where he plays um doctor i don't know Fenarius. Or i love
1: that bit where they go how to deal with a confrontation at a party Remember that about this, the social training video that they watch, and the guy like knocks knocks the drink all over the other guy. And initially, he's like, "Yo, what's up, man?" Oh yeah, I yeah. Remember. Then they have the second version. He's like, "Yo, that's cool, bro."
0: <laughs> Did I even? I actually haven't watched that movie in about two years, so I can I can remember that scene, but not as specifically. Um, actually, I haven't watched it in more than two years because it used to really scare the shit out of me. Do you remember that part with uh, where Shaggy is? driving a quad bike with that blonde girl on the back. Now Scooby is driving the one next to him and she looks at Scooby. Yeah. And she's all possessed and her face deforms. Yes. That scared the hell out of me as a kid. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it.
1: When I was younger, so I'm, I'm the youngest of my family by a fair margin. My sister's nine years older and my brother's 12 years older. And so growing up, Whenever I watched, like, little kitty stuff on the TV, my brother and sister would complain and just turn it off and put on something else. <laughs> so when I was a little kid, my, like, childhood films of The Matrix and Terminator 2 and all of this really full-on stuff that probably a little kid shouldn't be watching. And even the little kid stuff was The Labyrinth. Have you seen The Labyrinth with David Bowie? No. Oh, man. These 80s children's films that are just objectively terrifying they've just got this weird stuff in there even the have you seen the old Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yeah. there's that scene where they go through the tunnel and there's like chickens being decapitated there's that's like
0: super dark there's
1: centipedes coming out of people's eyes and then they just move on to the next scene like nothing's happened
0: that's the one with um, Gene Wilder yeah right? yeah, that was a good one
1: there's the scene about welcome to the, my imagination and everything's edible and they're having a big, big fun time and then a kid nearly dies in the chocolate in the chocolate river and then they go through the tunnel and he's like screaming and he's saying this weird poetry and there's all this weird dark imagery and then the next scene is like here's a never-ending gobstopper and they never go back to why the hell that scene was in there for the first place Unless it was just to terrify young children.
0: It makes sense, man. It makes sense. Because if you think about the entertainment today compared to what it used to be, did you ever used to watch Courage the Cowardly Dog? Yes. See what I'm saying? You don't yeah. have stuff like that anymore. Now you've got no. like like Nickelodeon about a dad who's a superhero and his son is the, actually the supervillain he has to hide him from his dad. That sort of
1: dumb shit. And it all looks the same. Everything is now that really cheap CGI. Like my nephew, when he watches these kids' shows, I'm like, oh... Watch this one and I was quite excited about showing him some of the kiddie stuff that I watched when I was a, a little kid. And every version of it now is done in this crappy CGI, really cheaply made because the assets would just be reusable for yeah. every single thing it. so bananas and pajamas or Thomas the Tank Engine or you know these or uh, Wallace and Gromit. I think Wallace and Gromit's still made out of plasticine. But is, everything is that still else, made?
0: I thought Wallace and Gromit went off the air years ago.
1: They had that movie recently. Hello, Gromit. Curse the Were-Rabbit. Yeah. I watched that the other day. It yeah. s- still holds up. Is this, it good? It's so good, man. i to watch it.
0: Well, you know, m- mentioning that everything sort of sort of looks the same. I remember Nickelodeon used to be, you know, I'd say a spot of fun. It used to be really cool. You used to have things like Rocco's Modern Life, Rugrats. SpongeBob. Uh, yeah, man. SpongeBob. I mean, SpongeBob is still around. Fairly odd parents. Fairly odd.
1: Billy page! <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <pigs. laughs> Mr. Mr. Dexter's Cracker, Laboratory. That was um, was Cartoon Network. Oh, was it Cartoon Network? It was pretty good too.
0: A hundred percent. But if you think about like Amber's, um, Amber's little brother watches Nickelodeon, and it is all just the same, the same copy and paste crap. That's that's just some 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 main person. And they've got stupid parents and they've got two friends. One is white, one is black. And it's just it's just the most generic. Is it live boring... action? Yeah, it's all live action. It's all on a sitcom. Mm. It's, all like, it's all like like, laughter track at the like back. Like that's
1: so Raven. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But,
0: but just without any of the charm. It's so lame. I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. It's all just the same boring stuff. And then every now and then they'll, they'll have like a musical number. And it'll be some catchy, pop-filled song that they just sing. Oh, man, I just don't get it. I'm just so glad that I kind of got to grow up when I did.
1: I read something interesting in one of my education journals when I was doing my degree um, that said that children these days aren't as hardworking because they're not within living memory of trauma. So let me explain. So our grandparents lived through World War II. And then we lived within living memory of some of the worst world events, whether it be the conflict in the Middle East or the September 11 attacks, or, you know, we've we've witnessed these horrible events. Whereas these kids, their parents, their grandparents had, had either died or hadn't been old enough to give true memories of World War Two, And they were born after September 11. And so before COVID, I suppose, they had never lived in a world where... They had direct access to living memory of some of the worst events in the world, which might be a good thing. But when my Omar said that they had to steal food in Germany because they had a loaf of bread was three thousand dollars, and there was a wheelbarrow of money and it meant nothing because the economic economics was dead after World War II, or my OPA. Um, being conscripted to the Army and then having to return back to Germany on a bicycle and all these horrible events, or watching the September eleven attacks on t v that this kind of hardens us up to working hard. you know if you don 't do this you 're dead, whereas kids these days <laughs> you don't do you, you know they, their grandparents don 't have these war stories or they haven 't seen the most horrible things that the world can produce. I argue that hopefully COVID-19 might change that. No, it won't. But I do see like these kids, I remember in year seven, when I was in year seven, we were pretty normal. Whereas the year sevens I teach now, then probably got a childlike innocence that I'd associate more with like a year fiver or a year four student. I don't know. Kids seem to be more kiddie.
0: You know what? That is actually a really, really good point. And I completely agree with everything that you say. I've spoken to a couple of employers in the last um, like the last two years, and apparently the up-and-coming generation is the laziest out of mm. any that's ever existed. And I think that, that you mentioning how the lack of trauma could be a very, very strong point as to why that's the case,. That guy.
1: There's a there's a, a massive wasp. There's just just in riding. the room,
0: dude. Just some guy came to ruin our day. <laughs> okay. Now I I completely agree with you. Now there's something that I really appreciate and respect about my um, about my grandfather. My grandfather grew up in South Africa, and he grew up extremely poor. He was one of seven kids from a poor family. He had nothing given to him, nothing. He had to buy his own everything. Back then, it was obviously a little bit easier to be able to afford a house and a car and all that sort of crap, but he had to work for it. My grandpa started as um, a laborer, somebody working on a mine, and he ended up a millionaire when he was, uh, he retired at the age of 50, a millionaire. And to this day, he has no worries. He, he, he by no means lives lavishly. He doesn't. He made money. He didn't make like tens of millions or twenties of millions. He made enough for him and his wife to live a modest, soft life mm. until the day that they die. This asshole. <laughs> there he goes. Oh, he's coming back.
1: <laughs> he thought about it for a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's like, Would you say? <laughs> Benefit for the listeners. <laughs> In that last sentence, the wasp flew directly into Sheldon's eyeball. Yeah.
0: What a dick wasp. So it's something that I've always really respected mm. about my grandpa is that he worked really hard for everything that he ever got. So he, um, he told me about three yeah. years of his life where he saw the sun three times in three years because he used to work on a mine, obviously very deep underground, and He used to start his shift at five in the morning and he used to finish his shift at eight in the evening. God. No days off because he had to pay for some property. And he had, the, he had the option of working all day and working nonstop. There was no labor laws like there are today. So he did it. And he only took Christmas Day off three times. It's probably a bit of an exaggeration. You know. I don't think any human being can do that. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, kids today wouldn't, wouldn't do that to themselves. Yeah. And my grandfather did that. And I just think to myself, would I imagine if I'm on the train and I see the kids of today, I sound old when I say it, but kids today are so disrespectful, rude. They think very highly of themselves. They're very quick to open their mouths and deliver their opinion. Mm. Would I assume that somebody like that would be willing to work hard? I don't think so. No way.
1: There is a lot of whinging and eye-rolling in my classes, whereas in in my day, when I was in school, you just kind of sat there and shut up. Of course. And you just got to do what the teacher says, whereas now there's like a expectation that school has to be fun all the time whereas learning is not fun learning is hard by the very definition of it you're trying to work your brain to understand something that it hasn't understood previously that's going to be a hard thing to do so it's not going to be fun is physical punishment a thing in australia no it hasn't been for decades really i think
0: that there is a a rational way to do it Mm. because i think that if you pretty much just treat your kid like, verbal punishment is enough, you're going to end up with kids like that. Mm. You're going to end up with kids who are lazy and you think that they can get away with shit.
1: If I was to play devil's advocate, though, we, we looked at this in class, actually, interestingly enough. There was an old... There was a quote I put up on the board basically saying, kids these days don't respect their parents, they don't know what they're doing, they've never lived through anything, they just get distracted by modern technology of crap and i asked them what year is this quote from and they said oh that sounds like it was like from last year we hear that stuff all the time i pull up the year it's from 69 bc what (laughs) yeah
0: that's not true
1: no it's true it's just basically and then we went through how every generation has said that the new generation sucked and people when the radio was first invented. The kids are always on these radios. They're never outside. They're never doing this when the television was first invented. Kids are just going to be on their screens. They don't know what it's like to do this. Yeah, and then then now it's like kids are just on their phones. Yeah, every single step of the way, the older generations have always thought that the younger generations don't know. They don't have what it takes.
0: So what do you think it is? Do you think it's just us as human beings not not liking anything that differentiates from what we know
1: um i think we probably think that we glorify our childhoods for better or for worse and we think that the way we grew up is Was the, the best, best way of growing up
0: because it's all we know
1: yes so and that we can't acknowledge that the kids do the exact same thing but in just different ways like for example there's that video that always gets shown around by that simon sinek guy Every single PD all the staff meeting, everyone always shows it about kids these days. He says, you know, he just craps on millennials that they can't build relationships and, you know, they, they've never been able to sit down and ask them how their father's doing and how are your kids going, Jim? And that kids these days never do that. Whereas I would argue that they still do that, but it's just not in the ways that we're familiar with. So we don't see it. So for example, I used to live in a school boarding house where the older generation the teachers that were older than me were absolutely furious at how the kids were doing online gaming with the headsets and stuff in their dorms and they used to say oh they should go outside and go kick a football around or something like that these kids don't know what they're doing whereas when you ask these kids what why they're playing those games they said that it's the only way that they can talk to their friends back home and they get to do they get to play a game with their friends back home or in another country on the other side of the world and it's the only way that they can socialise other than just ringing them up. The kids don't ring each other. <laughs> what do you, I, I, you don't ring... People of our generation don't do that where you ring someone up and just ask them how they're going. I'm scared of phone calls. Yeah, so with me I was like, well, to be fair, this is how the kids are doing this whereas the older generations could not understand that until they banned all technology.
0: I think you're right. I think that there is the sort of unnecessary skepticism just do just because it's not something that we're used to. And I think when it comes to certain things, I think that kids behaviors can be excused and just kind of left up to are oh, they are just socializing and are oh, they just kind of adapting to the new social cultural norm. And I agree with all of that. The one thing that I can safely say is that I think that kids are ruder and lazier than any generation before.
1: Well, I think everything's at their fingertips. Like if I wanted to see a naked lady, I'd have to go find my (laughs) dad's or my brother's old dingy nudie mag and, you know, take it and hide it under my shirt and run out into the backyard. (laughs) Whereas these (laughs) these kids have got like the world's just access to everything on their phones at all times. You know, just even that—you got to work for that, man. Yeah, you got to work for boobs.
0: <laughs> Can I tell you something really, really freaky? So, in the last year of my, or no, yeah, last year of my film studies, I shot a movie about pornography addiction. Mm. And a part of me shooting this film was doing research about the effects the long-term effects and the cultural effects of pornography use on society and teenagers, mm. more specifically teenage boys and sort of what technological absorb, what um, porn- pornographic absorption is going to do to the brain of an average child. And I had to read tons of studies and read books and watch documentaries and all sorts of stuff. And obviously, you are right. Things like, you know, being able to just grab your dad's magazine and run out the back and see some naked ladies That's all a thing in the past now. Kids have got access to pretty much anything from a sexual perspective Yeah, that uh, they can just think about. It. They can think about it, uh, lock the bathroom door and, and see it and find it. So you've got to think to yourself, what does that do from a sort of uh, evolutionary sexual perspective? You know, when somebody is going through that, that when, when they're going through puberty and they're, they're, their sexual identity is very, uh, it's still developing. And the way that they think about sex is still developing. So, so I'm I'm babbling a little bit. The number one growing trend in society or in in children and pornography abuse today is violence. Violence in pornography. So, because kids have, over the last couple of years, and this has just started, had access to pornography, um, they very quickly get bored. Mm. So, you would have a hypothetical teenage boy who would be 15 and he would get his first cell phone and he would start off and he would just type in boobs and he would see in Google images, he would see boobs. After a couple of months, he realizes that he can see anything else. So he might take it a little step further. He might see a video of a girl showing her boobs, whatever. The point of What I'm trying to say here is there's this uh, progression mm of um, what they would get bored of, and then they need to move on to something stronger, something more risque, something more... um, It's like a drug, isn't it? That's it, that's it, 100%. And kids of nowadays, with this constant access to pornography before they even have any sexual experience themselves, is they get a very strong inclination towards violence and um, forcing a girl to be submissive and being more authoritative and controlling in a sexual experience, mm. so there has been many cases where, when a guy, when a teenage boy, has a sexual experience with another teenage girl for the first time, he'll be extremely aggressive, and uh, because that is how mm. he sees um, sex should be to them. Anyway, I'm, this is—I I don't know if this is gross, but it's something that I've that I read about is that the number one growing trend right now in teenagers with their constant access to pornography, is violence Mm. and demeaning pornography towards women.
1: Well, that's what Ted Bundy said led to his all his serial killing when they interviewed him just before he went to the electric chair, is that regular pornography wasn't enough for him. So then he went into the more hardcore stuff, which is usually linked to violence, like you said. And then that connection of sex with violence is a very dangerous one because then that can lead to anything. Those two things shouldn't be linked. They should be like oil and water. But if if you keep finding stronger and stronger and stronger stuff, it creates a pathway in the brain where these things are now linked and you get sexual gratification from performing violence, which is, I mean, you can see how in Ted Bundy's case that led to the murder of, I think he had 20, 21 people, something like that. And then I was watching another... Even just... So that's the extreme of the spectrum. But I was, I did research in this as well when I was doing my education degree. And how, you know, trends of young people. And so I had to look at this stuff as well. And they said that it's imagine you're like the king of the village, right? And your brain can't differentiate what you see from what you do. So it thinks what you're seeing is what you're doing. So it can ruin your just normal relationships because your brain goes, hey, why are we with this just one partner? Yesterday, we had all of these supermodels. <laughs> we, we were with 10 people, 15 people, 20 different people. Now we're just with one.
0: A thousand percent. And then that
1: can ruin your perception of what a relationship should be.
0: A thousand percent. Ter- Terry Crews wore a shirt about three months ago that said porn kills love. Mm. Super, super relevant. I mean, it's exactly what you've just said. I've had friends in the past uh, back home, so we would do. We were shooting this um, pornography addiction film because somebody on the crew that I was working on had spoken about the fact that he had a pornography addiction. It's not me, and um, pretty much that's exactly what happened to him. Is him and his girlfriend at that time? I think they've since split up. They were struggling so much because he was having these weird neglect of thoughts towards his girlfriend because his brain just started responding to supermodels. His 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 dick was just like cool, so this is what I'm used to now. Yeah, this is normal. So why why are we doing this, dude? See what I'm saying? It's so weird. But think i I, I just can't imagine what that's gonna do for society ten years from now. Cause it's yeah. not gonna have any good effects.
1: Yeah. I mean those days of innocence is kind of get glorified in your mind. I mean, I heard someone saying, I think it was you, on one of your podcasts, saying, I wish we could go back 10 years ago where we didn't have to think about... Like, to glorify 2011 is scary to me. Yeah, You know, people glorify the 60s or the 70s and the 80s, whereas the world's changing so much that we glorify 10 years ago. As like the good old days, I think that's terrifying
0: it is, and I think it's just getting worse because it's, this is something that has it has just broken my will as a human being at times is the idea of always being reachable. Yeah, never being able to just be alone. Think about if if you, if you went like let's say you, you know you just went outside, I don't know about you, but I'd take my phone with me. Mm. If I wanted some some peace and quiet for a couple of days, it seems so far removed. I'd have to tell I'd have to tell people, I'm not taking my cell phone with me. I'm not going to be reachable for yeah. two days. I'm so sorry. And then you'd wonder, is anything happening? Do I need to get back quick? The world has just gotten to this point where we always need to be connected. I hate the fact mm. that people can always reach me. I hate it. I absolutely. It is one of the worst things to me. And I think back to something like 2011, when if you didn't answer your phone, you'd be like, Ugh, okay, I'll phone him again. In, in, I'll phone him again tomorrow, hopefully I will answer. But now, if you don't answer your phone twice, then people think you're dead.
1: Yeah, the other day I was sick from work and I was just unconscious in bed. And then I woke up and my phone was just like going into meltdown and I had like 11 missed messages from all the different teachers asking me what's happening with this, what's doing with this. So even when you're away sick, you're expected to be at work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I work two days a week now for my for my job. And same thing, that, you know, I'm always reachable. So if it's on a day that I don't work, uh, if a message is sent, then um, I have to respond because everybody knows where to reach me at all moments of every day. Think about it. We are literally incapable of being alone anymore.
1: Do you ever, here's a proposition for you. Sometimes I think that you hear these people who have just taken a massive risk and they reject this idea of modern living, like what you just said, of always being reachable. They reject this idea completely and they just reject this idea of the rat race and they save up some money and then they just... Move to some random little town, live in a cottage somewhere, or maybe they buy a van and they drive around Australia and they just live hand to mouth and they go open a flower shop or, you know, and they just completely reject this idea and they live within their means and they just go and change their life. And they may not be, they may be earning 50k less than they would if they just had a normal job, but they take the risk and they just they just move or they just go overseas or they just do this. And these people, I'm sure you've heard of these stories as well. These people just go, oh, like I had a a colleague of mine who just rejected teaching. She was doing teaching for years and then just quit one day and went and opened a flower shop in the middle of nowhere. You know, you hear these people who, there's someone down the Gold Coast as well. They They work an organic shop where they just sell soaps and whatever. And uh, I mentioned to her that I was a teacher. She goes, oh, I used to be a teacher as well. It was too much for me. Do you ever think about, what if I did do that? What if tomorrow I rejected this idea of making it and I just took my partner and we just lived in the middle of nowhere?
0: Can I be honest with you? How often do I ever think about it? Every single day. (laughs) I'm not joking. Yeah. Because we have romanticized this idea of In order to be happy and successful you need to have a strong income and a good job title Mm. so that you can have that financial security so that you know that you won't ever be homeless something like that and i've totally bought into it and i wish i haven't and i grow up i get older and i just realize how the people who have a simple normal life are the luckiest people in the world Mm to be able to do that. When you say you have a colleague who did that, I had a colleague too. She was working at um, the website development company that I currently work at. And she was the head of search engine optimization and she was making good money. She was able to work from home four days out of five. So she was earning good cash. She was saving a lot of money. She had a good job. And um, she got to work the one day and I was talking to her and she just broke into tears. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, did I say something? But thought I might've made a joke, I don't know. And I was speaking to her and she was like, I can't do this anymore, it's just too much. This was about a month and a half ago. Long story short, she quit her job and uh, she is now, she, she bought a van with her boyfriend and they are currently traveling through Australia. Yeah. And, um, the last time I heard from her, she was extremely happy. And I always think to myself how incredible that must be. I mean, the only reason mm-hmm. that, you know, I take part in the rat race that is life is just because of financial obligations, just because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I've got to make money. But if you gave me $50 million tomorrow to the point where I knew I would never have to work again because of financial stress. I don't think you'd see me again. Mm. I would literally take my cat, I'd take my partner, and I'd move to Finland. And I would live in the middle of nowhere in a tiny forest cabin. I romanticize this. I literally think about it. I close my eyes. think, How incredible must that be? And I would have no cell phone signal. I'd have a couple of DVDs, maybe like some PlayStation games. And I'd just live the most, the most boring life. Where mm. I wouldn't have to worry about you know, the outside world. I think that's, I, that is what I'm working towards. That is what I want out of life.
1: That's why I've put so much into the band. Because I picture my version of driving around Australia in a van is being in a professional band where that's all you focus on is the direction of the band, making it popular, playing some songs, doing some touring, uh, thinking about your next release. I think that would be so exciting and... I mean, to be able to do the band as your job, I mean, that's, don't even talk to me about that, man. That's the, How cool would that be? You don't have to have that nine to five. Like the lead singer of Vampire Weekend, he used to be a teacher. He used to be an English teacher. Really? Yeah. Ezra, Ezra Koenig, he used to be an English teacher. And on their Reddit the other day, some of his past students were talking about what he was like as a teacher, but he used to be a teacher and... Um, yeah, Vampire. He was in a band, and then they got big, and now he's a professional musician. He just focuses on uh, Vampire Weekend. That's all he does. He it's wrote cool. a song for Beyonce the other year. You know,
0: that's cool. You see, I I like those sort of success stories where they all sort of came from came from a very simple life. You know, Jeremy McKinnon, the guy who he's the lead singer of the Day to Remember. He used to work in a sandwich shop. Yeah, and now look at them. You know, so that is. One of not even one of that is the main reason that I put so much effort into the band, into the podcast as well, because that's how I would want to live my life. Just being able to have the financial freedom to just not have to buy in, yeah, to the world because you have to,
1: mm. but because you want to. Teaching is one of the worst for it as well. I think it's like only. Half of the people who do a teaching degree actually ever try to do teaching.
0: Shame. And
1: then about 62% of those people, of that 50%, quit within the first five years and never do it again.
0: And then what do they go on and do? Anything else. Just like anything else. Anything
1: else. else. So my maths, what's 60% of 50%? 60% of 50% is
0: 30.
1: Yeah. So you got 30% of people. So 70%. Of people who start a teaching degree and dedicate their life towards education don't teach.
0: They just kind of like go in and just do the bare minimum? Yeah, then
1: they go, oh, screw this. So only 30% actually are teachers. for. That's not even forever, just more than five years.
0: Damn. I think that there's also probably a lot of... Well, not probably. I used to have a lot of teachers that just hated kids, but they were just in the job because it's, it's all that they could do. Yeah. And you can... I think that must be a terrible existence to have. I think it must be Mm. an awful existence to have. But but saying that, I think there are probably so many people that have a job that they hate, but they've got nothing else. Mm. They've got nothing else that they can do.
1: Do you think the system is designed to break them down?
0: Well, if I was at the top, I would keep the system the way it is now to break them down.
1: Yeah, break them down and think, you know, Life's not about your particular needs or wants or aspirations. Just become an ant in the system. That's all, that's all you're good for.
0: And it's so weird because you can grow up and you can sort of be be young and you can tell yourself, I will never do that. And then before you find yourself again, you are an ant in the system. Yeah. And you just think, damn, how did I get here? No. Oh, I, I, I still have time to get out. Oh, I still have a plan to get out. And then most people never do. Yeah.
1: Like in that first podcast, when you talked about my music school, a lot of those people were like alternative kids who, you know, had space earrings and smoked and had tattoos and whatever. Whereas if you see them today, they're all kind of normal, normal kind of people in their corporate jobs. Whereas I remember back then being yeah. like, yeah, screw I'm never working in an office block ever. Whereas most people now have had to get something just to survive, you know?
0: That's life, man, and it's so like the more I say it, this the scarier it is. But when I I I probably said this to you, but when I was in university, uh, the creative university, we had this big wall, and if you graduated as an actor or actress, you got a portrait taken and put on the wall, and there was about six hundred photos, and not a single one of them made it. Mm. Not one, not a single one of them made it in the creative space. They all had to just go into reception work, admin work, working for their dad's company, working as a laborer, all of them. There's not a single one. Because I used to look for that because I was always very skeptical and paranoid about my future. I used to think, am I going to be able to make it? Let's see. And then I would look at the success rate and I'd see, okay, if I look at all these actresses and act- actors and actresses, which of them do I recognize? And then I'd speak to the acting lecturers and I'd say, which of these have made it? And they go, he was on a game show once. That's it. That's it, man. It mm. is so scary. I feel like it's all. I, I feel like the whole game is just rigged against us.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to think about what. What is it that makes the change? What is it that actually allows people to succeed? If you think of the fight game, I mean, that's that's another killer industry. <laughs> if you don't win your fights, you literally get pummeled into unconsciousness. Mike Tyson used to be one of those guys, you know, he'd get up at four in the morning, go for a massive run, you know, and then do like 50 million training sessions, go to bed at midnight and do it all over again. He used to say that he loved getting up at that time because he knew that that time was getting time over his opponents. His opponents weren't up at four in the morning, but he was. Same with Kobe Bryant. He used to talk about how he he at the Olympics, the London Olympics, these other professionals, Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James, they would rock up to practice and Kobe had already been there for five hours and he was like drenched in sweat and he'd already been doing it forever. And they asked him about it and he said, well, if I do three hours more practice than you per day, let's say you get in at 11 and I get in at 8, 7 or 8, that three hours multiplied by seven times a week is twenty-one more hours than you. Times that by how many weeks in a year. So by the we, we may start playing when we're seventeen, but by the time we're twenty-two, I would have I would have built up so many more hours than you that even if you started, you would never catch me up ever. And that's the difference between succeeding and failing.
0: That is that's true. I think I think there are certain instances where you cannot put your lack of success on anything else besides effort. Mm. And maybe that's it, man. Maybe some people just don't make it because they're just just either not good enough or they're just too lazy. It's hard. Because human beings are lazy. People, if you you went to most people in the world, unless like you're an Elon Musk, and you said, listen, I'll give you enough money to be able to relax the rest of your life. More than enough. You can have whatever life you want. Here's all the cash. 99% of people would take it. So I think maybe that's what it is. I, I was thinking about this when you were talking about that. You know that John Lennon used to set an alarm for 6 30. He would wake up, this was after the Beatles had become famous. He would set an alarm for 6:30, and he would have a cup of tea on his balcony in London. And the reason for this is he would wake up, set an alarm. I mean he would he would wake up, make him tea, go sit outside on the balcony and watch people on their way to work and find joy in the fact that he didn't have to do that <laughs> i swear to you, he yeah. used, to, used to look at these people and go these are ants and that is never going to be me he would finish his tea he'd go back to bed and he'd have an amazing sleep until whenever he wanted to <laughs> man that makes me so sad here that's,
1: that's such a john lennon thing to do as yeah. well i'm not surprised who is your favorite beetle if you had to pick
0: I don't listen to the Beatles.
1: How?
0: I've just never given them the time of day.
1: You would know their songs, though. Nope. No.
0: Nope. Man, if you if you if you send me some of their music, I will listen to it. But I've never given them as much respect and time as I should have.
1: My partner's the same. She didn't care about the Beatles in any way, shape, or form, and she ac- actively hated them because people were just weren't showing her the right stuff but i showed her some of the the better things and that's what actually got her into it now she likes the Beatles.
0: i'm sure they must be amazing because they they have this incredible amount of respect and reputation yeah i'll i will i will give them the time that they deserve eventually
1: i toss up with my favorites i used to like john growing up but he's such a horrible person when you look at some of the things that he did, like he used to beat his first wife and, um, so <laughs> <laughs> he used to make fun of gay people and disabled people. And did he? Yeah. This disabled people. Yeah. There used to be, um, disabled people used to come and see them backstage and he used to like get really angry about it. And he was like, don't send them here. I don't want to see them. Like he had a real th- phobia around it. That's it's... awful. Um, whereas Paul, and then like, um, his first son, he kind of neglected until he was like 18 or 19. Um, man, like personally, there's objectively some things about him that's, it's hard to ignore, but he, he did used to be my favorite. I think he just had a very trauma, a lot of trauma in his upbringing. So he, his father left left him with his mother and then his mother was uh, alcoholic or something or just wasn't fit to raise him. So um, he grew up with his aunt, who was really strict and horrible. And then his uncle was like his one saving grace, but then his uncle died. That's awful. And then his mother got back on the scene, got her shit sorted. And then he actually had a really good relationship with his mum. And then his mother got run over and killed.
0: By a bus? Yeah, so... Dude, that's like comedic way to die.
1: I know. So, he probably... Anyone that he ever had a relationship with kind of left him.
0: That's awful. That's absolutely awful. I think that a lot of bad stuff as an adult stems from childhood trauma. I think that most people have some sort of trauma to some extent, but... You know, I think when you hear about people like that who were literally almost abandoned, that's just
1: Mm. terrible, man. There's different ways to deal with trauma, though. Like, Paul McCartney's mother died as well. Um, But he dealt with it in, like, a, a more positive way. Whereas John took it very negatively and was, you know, lashed out against society. Whereas Paul was, like, you know, Paul McCartney's always so positive all the time. Like, it's an interesting way, the two reactions that you can get trauma.
0: Uh, I just wanted to comment on one of the things you spoke about. I think it's a little bit horrible that he, he didn't he made fun of disabled people. Did you ever used to watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Now, do you remember at the end of Game of Thrones where uh, the kid in the wheelchair? He's the one that then sat on the Iron Throne.
1: Right. I've never seen the last season, but I have heard through the grapevine that that was the end. Okay.
0: So basically, he was the one in the wheelchair. And then he was the one that then sat on the on the iron throne. So after that episode aired, people were very upset. Basically, people were upset because they felt that it didn't make any sort of sense. They just felt like uh, there was no indication, and he had no aspirations to sit on the iron throne. Everything's been built up towards is just kind of now they just put him in there. It was just a way to to, to have this cheesy twist. That's why people were upset, and they were they were vo- you know vocally upset about it. So, disabled groups, like representations of disabled people, came forward and said, I cannot believe the outrage. You guys just don't like the idea of a disabled person sitting on the throne. And I thought to myself, imagine if that was the case. Imagine if you were at home and you were like, I fucking hate disabled people. (laughs) I fucking hate them.
1: Man. Yeah, why would... Surely, there's. You can't. So no one. I. I can't imagine. Like, I. There's never been a more accepting time than 2021, and disabled people. I mean, you. Move. How
0: can you not like a disabled
1: person? You want to help them, and you want to support them, and you want to help them be a normal part of society. That's the whole point of all these systems in place. I. I don't know why you would. Can I tell you something? Have a go at. A character so, having a bit of success—that's ridiculous. Argument.
0: I just, I just love the idea of disabled groups thinking that somebody's at home going, I "Fucking hate disabled." <laughs> <groups."> <laughs> I think it's so good. I don't think
1: there's. If that person does exist, they need to take a good hard look at themselves.
0: Yeah, dude. But I don't think people like that do exist. No. But so my my dad, uh, as a part as well, like a part of his way to, to give back to society, he performs at these it's like an orphanage but for disabled adults right so some of these people are in their 40s 50s and 60s and they have some sort of brain issue learning issue physical deformity um, and they can't really think properly my dad likes to perform for them once every two three months and i think it is so sweet and uh, a lot of these people are kind of like kids so my dad will go and he'll He'll, he'll bring his keyboard and his guitar and he'll sing songs for them. And um, they'll think he's famous. They'll come up to my dad and they'll ask for his autograph.
1: Oh, nice.
0: But uh, they, they'll they have a CD that's got nothing to do with my dad. It'll probably be like, uh, Now Hits 41. That's like from 1998. And they'll bring that to my dad and go, oh, can you please sign this? And then my dad will sign it. And um, some, of, some of the women... Some of the the women who were disabled will go up to my dad and go, my my friend likes you. My friend friend wants to be your girlfriend. I swear, they're like 50 something. Yeah, I thought that was sweet.
1: Hopefully we can do that for real. Autographs. I can't imagine, like you see celebrities and they've got hordes of fans waiting for them everywhere they go they could sign autographs until the cows come home, there would still be people wanting pictures and everything like imagining the first few times that would happen like your band starts to make it and then suddenly people are like, oh, you're the dude, you know, like I can't even imagine how that happens
0: It's, it does seem really far-fetched and what you've just said there with oh, you're the dude, that sort of signals this, um this, this slight recognition where if a couple of people might recognize him and yeah. go, oh, aren't you that guy, you're, you're somebody, right? I watched these videos the other day of Justin Bieber getting hounded by fans, mm. and it is insane. Literally to the point where there's about 300 people outside of the hotel that he stays at. And then every time the carport opens, because it'll be in the city, Every time a carport opens, 300 fans will just circle this car, look into the window to see if it's him. And then it won't be him, then they'll separate and the car can drive through. I'd be so weirded out if I was just like staying at the hotel. But imagine that sort of, sort of um, I I don't want to say admiration as if it's this incredibly nice positive thing. But imagine fans to that extent, where it's not even recognizing you, it's worshipping you. Because that's what it is. People worship artists of that caliber. You know? People don't go, oh, Justin Bieber, you're cool, when they're there. You know, yeah.
1: When they're there, they would literally kiss the ground upon
0: what he walks.
1: I know. Sounded old school. Well, with um, those Beatlemania documentaries, they're just prisoners, basically. Like, they were in Japan, and John and George, I can't remember, two of them left to just go see the local market and their record label was absolutely furious really yeah because they they were just going from hotel to hotel and that's all they could do and their only time outside of the hotel was to be on stage and then when they got off stage it was to the next place and they felt like prisoners
0: who said that there was a guy i think it was machine gun killing or one of it was an artist i don't remember He spoke about, you know, people always think that being a famous musician must be really exciting and really fun. And he says that when you're not on stage, you're always staring at four walls Mm. because you can't do anything but that. Yeah. So that makes total sense. So I think, but to be honest, I think, I do think that there must be some positives with it, with that, as incredibly crazy as it would sound. Think about what it must be like from a personal perspective to have that sort of human human admiration coming towards you from all corners of the earth it must be a very strange thing to experience i would imagine it probably has a lot of negative experiences as well but i think it must be something that a lot of us can't even comprehend yeah. what it must be like
1: i don't think you can make sense of it i like sitting here now i would be like oh yeah i'd still try and walk down the street or i would still sign autographs and be a nice guy but you know these people a lot of these people Like, how often do you hear of celebrities oh that guy's a dick tried to get a photo with him and he just pushed me off like you know that just has to happen once and then suddenly you've got this bad reputation
0: yeah do you know what happened with uh, bam mojera so he tried to stop drinking when he was younger because he had he started getting really bad into booze and he used to go out with his friends to bars and um he would just get recognized and people would go, oh, shit, it's Bam. Hey, Bam, can I buy you a drink? And then he'd go, oh, it's okay. No, thanks, man. I've already got one. i would be like, no, no, it's cool. Hey, man, give me one for Bam. And then Bam would have two drinks, and the guy would want to stay there with him until he drank. Anyway, and then people would come, and they'd buy him a shot and stuff like that. And he said that it got to this point where he couldn't go out because as soon as he would get out, he would, he would be out, he would get seven drinks put in front of him in the space of 45 minutes, and everybody wanted to have it with him that he started just drinking alone by himself with his friends because he just couldn't do anything besides that. And if he said no, if he said, no, thanks, I'm not going to have it, then he was a dick.
1: Yeah. I remember my partner tells the story of walking past Noel Gallagher in London and she kind of stopped to... because she had that reaction that you talked about, like, isn't that the guy... I, I I recognized this guy and at that time he was struggling to <laughs> do up his sun zip on his jacket and he was like <laughs> <laughs> and then um she just kind of stopped in front of him it was like at a local s- supermarket and apparently he just looked at her and just gave the filthiest look of just like ah. and just shook his eyes and shook his head just like don't you dare come ask for anything yeah either. and he and she was just like
0: okay because the thing is with when it comes to stuff like that everybody has bad days yeah i have days where i just don't want to be around anyone yeah one of the best jobs i ever had was being a dog walker because if i was having a bad day i just had to be around dogs i could be alone i would walk in and go good morning team whatever and the rest of the day i'd just come in take four dogs go for a walk for an hour come back exchange the dogs for another four dogs go back for an hour and sometimes you get a bit lonely if you're in a really good mood and you want to chat. But if you're not feeling so great, then it's nice to just be quiet. And if you're like that, and somebody always wants to talk to you, and somebody always wants you to be that version of yourself, mm. they want you to be that characterised, caricaturized version that they see on the tele or yeah. that they see in music videos. So you have to be, what's up? Yeah, it's me, nice to see. But if you're just a normal person, sometimes people might be a little bit underwhelmed. Yeah. I think it must be weird, man. I think there must be a lot of down... I think there's a lot of positives to having that, but I think there must be a lot of negatives. But there's a reason that they stick to it. Mm. If, I, if if Justin Bieber really hated his life so much and hated always being sort of followed and shit, he would have retired from the music industry by now. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think, I think that's an ignorant statement of me to make
1: because there's a lot more that goes into that. But you know what I'm saying. Mm. So I think we'll wrap it up there. I mean, we, had, we did have a plan for this podcast. Yeah, we didn't even talk about anything. We'll
0: save it for next time. Guys, thank you so much for listening to me.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us. And I don't know if I'm going to get sacked as host for next episode. But no thanks way, for man. joining us, as always. It's great to see all of you. And we'll see you next time on The Wild Podcast.